UX Podcast Episode 182. Welcome to UX Podcast, recorded for you here in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Royal Lawson. With listeners in 174 countries from Turkey to Bangladesh. Today, for you, we have a link show, mm-hmm. which familiar listeners familiar with our podcast and this particular type of show mm-hmm. will know that Per and I, we talk about a couple of articles that we found on our digital travels around the interwebs. I love that you're still using that phrase. But there's one tiny change that has happened since we started out, and that is that we've gone down from three to two articles. So to make things a little bit more concise mm. and, and um, themed, perhaps even. So today we have two articles for you. Um, the first one is The Secrets of Semantic HTML5 for Document Structure, a guide. This is um, by Jason... Um, Bernard on SEM Rush blog. Mm. It's a very, very technical sounding um, article, that one. <laughs> and the second one is Don't Let Them Paste Passwords by Paul Moore on his blog, paul.reviews. It's listener survey time. As long as you're not driving right now, then stop for a moment, visit uxpodcast.com slash survey and just spend a few minutes answering a few very, very tricky and complicated questions about the podcast. That's not true. They're actually quite straightforward. We just want to know a little bit about what you think about the show. Well, this, this article, it, uh, the story begins not with the article, but with a question I received. Mm-hmm. Now, a question that's followed us through the, the three decades of, of web development and web design is, should you use um, a H1 heading for your logo type on a website. So we're talking about HTML code, H1 yeah. heading. There are like we usually use H1, H2, H3. As yeah, it's the primary. Yeah. It's the it's the main heading of the of mm. the page, um, and and it used to be the case, especially with HTML4, um, that you should have. You know, Google used to say one heading on the page, and it should be the main one. Um, and you know we we've, we've argued this all for, for years. I said three decades or more, um, over three decades, that. Should the logo type be one of those big headings or not? Mm. Now, you'd think by now we'd have worked out the answer to this. Right. But it's still something that, you know, you just Google for that question. There's just article after article that debates one way or the other. And you can't buy a book that will tell you. I don't think there's a book no. about this one topic. No. There's plenty of articles here on all these dev websites. <laughs> even uh, Not just devs, actually, as well. This comes into the you know, SEO side of things and, mm. and um, accessibility. But we'll get to that. The article that I've, I'm going to I've pulled up to to have as our artifact to talk around is the secrets of semantic HTML5 for document structure. I got this question, like I said, about logotype and H1. The question was actually not really about that. It was about something else. They this website had noticed that the H1 heading didn't come first on the page. There was other H H headings. Mm. So there were there were headings of lower importance were sooner in the code. Now, back in the day, that used to be a problem. Mm-hmm. 
in my world anyway, I mean, you, you can agree to me or nod or disagree, but it used to be a problem because you've got a, a structure, the semantic structure of a page was dictated by its headings. We used to say that there was only allowed one H1 heading per page. And that was true, wasn't yeah. it, HTML4? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> can't remember anymore. Yeah. But uh, it was definitely something we all said. Mm. And, you know, yeah. And, and, and we Google had, was encouraging us to have one. We used to have all these truthisms. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of them were bad. Mm. I mean, coding used to be, th- there wasn't this nice dis- um, split between the structure of the code and the, the information structure of the page. Um, not as maybe as much as Tim Edersley intended in the beginning. Yeah when we get into all the graphical side. But um, I started to kind of answer this question um, about whether or not the logo should be, because the logo being H1 was kind of put forward as a solution mm-hmm. to why the H1 heading, or to put a H1 heading at the start of the document yeah. would be put it around the logo. To solve the problem, solve the problem of problem. H1 not being first. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's the wrong problem to solve. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty much what I said. Well, you know, I think you should be... Um, concentrating maybe more on the semantic structure of the document. Mm. HTML5 offers this opportunity for us um, mm. that we can we can say this is the header, this is the navigation, this mm. is the article, this is a section in the article, this is an, a related bit of content, this is the footer. Mm-hmm. In the HTML, HTML5 specification, you can have a H1 heading in every section, every semantic Yeah element of the page so you know where the h1 comes doesn't really matter as long as it's in its section or as long as it's first in that section or as long as it's the most important thing in that section yeah <laughs> well you're first in the section i guess is what you're gonna say yeah you should be maybe first. yeah it doesn't, i don't think it has to oh yeah it should really be first in its it should be the most important heading in the section and semantically i think you can mm-hmm. get into all kinds of problems if you're putting tiny Because what happens and what I've seen is that people maybe use an H2 around the title of their page because they want the H1 to be the title of the blog post or the article because that has more keywords. And people assume that if you have more keywords than the H1, then that will be better for search engine optimization. And this is this mm. is partly why I love this topic mm. because it still hasn't been answered. Mm. And also, we've I've mentioned... Programming, so HTML5 and, and so on. And now the, the SEO side mm. of things, that the, the H1 title isn't really a, a factor anymore. Not, yeah. it, it, it's one of the 120, but it's not, it's not the big thing mm. uh, for the page. Um, and especially if you look at start pages, often they're, or landing pages generally, there's a mix of different, it's, it's leading you somewhere else. You know, like product descriptions mm. um, or articles. You've got like a, you know, a newspaper or something. Mm. You've got all the different um, titles and, and, and bits of snippets of text mm. lead you onto an article. Um, they're all, in a certain level, they're all pretty equally important. Mm. Yeah. Which brings us to the point, I mean, how much of a design problem, how much of a UX problem is this? Do we design artifacts and pages and designs, give it to the interaction designer who gives it to the developer, and we trust the developer to make the call. One thing I love about mm. the semantic elements of HTML5 is its information architecture. Yeah, it really is. And that's a UX thing. Mm. 
Should be. Well, it's one of the things yeah. that we've all kind of... You yeah. Know, well, we talked about this. It's, it's kind of one of our related disciplines. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's programming. It's code. Mm. And Alan Cooper will be telling mm. us this point, well, designers don't need to code. Mm. But do we need to know information architecture? Mm. And from a design point of view, you still have to have some... Well, you need to, need the, you need to know the structure of the page yes. that is presented to users. Yeah. So in order to communicate to the developer, then it'd be really good to to, to give them that design, mm. that information architecture design of a page, yeah. which is the semantic outline yeah. of your document. So there really is an opportunity here for if more designers understood the HTML5 semantic outline of a page, they would be able to communicate better the different components of a page and how those could be reused across the website. Yeah, atomic design thinking yes here. like brad frost's atomic design yeah like a section mm. is a mm. is a is a little component of mm. the page mm. but the section often will be part of an article mm. which might be your main article which is part of your page um but i also i also love how i mean this is a big win for i mean the whole kind of backbone i guess of this comes from accessibility yeah so I haven't checked the actual background mm -hmm. of why we came to the semantic document structure mm -hmm. in HTML5, but I know that accessibility is a huge benefit. Yeah, because, I mean, when you enter a page with a screen reader and you have the page read to you by a machine, the machine needs to understand what is a heading. And sometimes that's how you get an overview of a page. Just read me all the H2 headings uh, on a page to quickly find your way across a document. Uh, so it really helps you in that way. It's also the case that um, the semantic element... Um, are automatically um, turned into um, bookmarks um, or um, IRA bookmarks. Yes, so you can jump to them straight away. I mean, if we were talking back in the day and we had these quick links that we had hidden links in the header that weren't visible to most users, but they were could be accessed by your web browsers. You could click on it. Jump to content was a common one. Mm. Now you can just jump to the navigation, jump to the footer, jump to the article because... They're, they're defined by roles, as they're called. And so the role of the main content is usually article, and you can jump to that straight away with yeah. the screen reader and just jump over. And you don't have to have the whole menu read to you uh, by the screen so, browser. So a, a well-structured document is, is nice, nicely programmed. Yeah. It's probably nicely designed or more responsive because mm. you've thought about the structure of the information mm as well as as part of the design yeah. and also it makes it um, more kind of like get up and go for accessibility and screen readers exactly and also it makes it more uh, compatible with other types of tools so if, if you want another tool to be able to scrape the content from that website if it was well structured you could just write a script that would do that quite easily if you wanted to reuse and repurpose the content in some other areas and in some other tool uh, yeah. So the portability of content becomes much better if you have tagged it so that machines can understand it as well. Yeah. Machines understanding mm. it, that gets us back to the Google aspect mm. that by by structuring the page better, it gives mm. a, a stronger signal mm. to search engines about what mm. you intended, like, you know, the aside, that this isn't the main focus of this content, this page. Yeah. So you don't need to worry about all the keywords in that one or you don't need to muddy the search by including that information because focus on the main article yeah. this is what i'm talking about so given everything that it is good for it's it's quite worrying that we're not spending more and more time on this and having more discussions across the different competencies across developers interaction designers even the business uh, and designers about 
how do we structure a page both uh, visually but also programmatically yeah i think mm. I, I think the, the semantic element mm. is a real significant and important mm. um central theme mm. for our work in producing mm. great uh, websites or, mm. or web products definitely and Going back to the article that I pulled mm. out for this, I like this article on search or SEM Rush, um, which is the secrets of. You've scrolled away from the title, so I couldn't read it. <laughs> the secrets of semantic HTML for document structure. Oh. Um, the reason why I like it is because it's visual. It's got a lot of nice um, images showing you how mm. you can structure up a page or how a page can be broken down into various mm. sections. So and if, as if, well as just in, yeah. the images, there is also text that does a good job of describing it too. Exactly. So if you're a UX designer and you have no idea what we're talking about, this article gives you a really good overview and a quick introduction to how a page is structured in HTML5. And going back to, to Alan Cooper and saying mm. designers don't need to code, um, I, don't, I think you could argue that the semantic structure of a page isn't coding. No, I, 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 that's what I'm thinking as well. It's but not coding. I think a, a designer of any mm. flavor mm. can learn things like um, header, nav, main, mm. section, article, body, um, and footer, and so on. Because these are things we're designing anyway. Interaction designers mm. are, are designing navigation. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're an information architect, mm. you're really going to love this because this is information mm. architecture. And, and, I mean, you need to understand the material you're working with mm. to be able to make good solutions it's a communication i see this as a communication tool but the big question is what's your answer do we make the logo Damn an it. h1 or not Damn it. <laughs> it's, i actually can't i actually think mm. i don't really mind yeah i mean I, I can i can have it if if it's the most important um and relevant heading mm. in the section it's in which would be header mm. i guess then i'm fine with it being a h1 mm. I think six, seven years ago, if you'd asked me, I would have said on the front page, on the very start page, on the home page, you can have the logo as the H1, but on pages below that, you would want to have the title of the article or the title of the page as the H1, because that would be quick access for anyone using a screen reader. I'm uh, going to agree with you. I'm actually mm, going mm. to amend what I just said by mm. saying on the start page, I probably would have it as H1, yeah. but on other pages... I'd be tempted to have it as H2 because it's 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 the you know, and have the H2 mm. as the first. Mm. Now we're getting really now we're getting properly yes. into the semantics. Of but this. it's semantics, but it's also about structure and how yeah. relevant is the content to yeah. the person reading the page and also design. Mm. Because mm. if you're looking at the the design of the page, mm. if I'm on a blog article, mm. then I'm I'm going to visually mm. expect the um, the main title heading mm. to be probably the biggest text on the page. Yeah. That's normally what you do, and it's deeply rooted in, in design philosophy, I guess, about presenting yeah. information. Uh, whereas the logo is secondary. Yeah. So H2, putting it as a lower rank mm. of heading, mm. fine. And it's allowed to be H2 in the header, mm. as long as, well, there isn't anything outranking it there. I'm glad we figured this out. I'm glad we did too. After th nearly 30 years, there's an answer. So before jumping into Article 2, this actually also is based on an experience, a recent experience, where I was on my iPad and I was going to buy something quite expensive. And coming through the checkout, uh, I realized after I pushed next that I actually do have an account on this website, but I had no idea what my password was. But, of course, 
being the geek I am, I do have a password manager. Uh, remember, I was on my iPad. So what I tend to do is I then just double tap on my home button, go into the other application, which is my password manager, copy the password, which is really complex. I like to keep my passwords complex. I, no, I have no idea what most of my passwords are. I find them in my password manager. That's how I stay secure. Copy it, return to the other, other application, which now is full screen on my iPad, tap on the field, paste. Nothing happens. I tap again because that's what you do when something doesn't work. You try it again as if machine says no. as, as if the computer hadn't worked, <laughs> uh, which it obviously had. And somebody, of course, then had disabled the uh, functionality of being able to paste into a password field. Uh, and this isn't, isn't something that's totally uncommon. It does happen. No. But it completely breaks my workflow. And on the iPad, then, of course, I had to go back to my extremely complicated pa password, remember them for... Uh, characters at a time and go back and forth to to complete my password and log into the website to be able to buy what I wanted mm -hmm. to buy. I had a similar experience mm -hmm. as well with um, um, the credit card field. Oh, I use a password manager, yeah. but it also has credit card details that you can use to fill in forms. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it can recognize these fields normally mm -hmm. automatically and uh, you can fill them in. Mm -hmm. And this website, mm -hmm. again, it, not, it was a travel website, mm -hmm. um, so I was buying tickets. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I think it did two things. I think it disabled paste mm -hmm. And it also had n incorrectly labeled the, um, the, the roles of the, of the form fields. Oh. So the password manager didn't know which fields mm. to paste into. And I couldn't then go in manually mm. and copy the, the credit card details and paste them mm. in because that was disabled. So it was mm. broken on two levels. Oh, there's so much broken. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to the article uh, by Paul Moore. Don't let them paste passwords, dot, dot, dot. In which, luckily for us, actually, <laughs> he argues that you should disable what? password fields. Uh, and the reason for this is, is quite complex. Uh, he deems that it's actually safer to ascertain if a person is a robot or a human by looking at how the person types the password. So oh. you can actually determine if it's a human, and maybe even down to who it is, <laughs> uh, by looking at how you enter keys or characters into a field. So this is basically mm -hmm. the same as, as, as Google's um, I am not a robot. Oh, yeah, that that's just similar, yes. Because mm. that's based on the way that you mm. move the mouse and mm. so on, that there's a human mm. way of doing it yeah. and there's a computerized way of doing it. I must be very much like a robot when I do it because I always get double-checked when I do that. Oh. <laughs> so, so, the, so he's saying that... By, by forcing people to type in mm. a password, you can mm. analyze mm. their typing style mm. and check with the history of typing style, mm. and then you know it's that person mm. or you know it's human. Exactly. And oh. if I remember correctly, it also makes the case. And this is, this is, I think, what many people have argued in the past, is that if people have to type it, then you are quite sure that they are remembering it. Uh, but he correlates this with... Uh, if you can type it quite quickly, then you are remembering it. Oh, but then it's... Then but you in oh, my no. case, what I'm saying, <laughs> I, I don't remember my passwords, and that's how I stay secure. Exactly. <laughs> this, this, I mean, I can yeah. buy this argument yeah. that you can, you can tell if mm. someone's mm. human, even to tell if they're individual because they're typing mm. patterns, but this is kind of mm. almost encouraging the behavior mm. of one password, mm. all sites. 
because you, you're yes, going exactly. to want to be able to remember it so it stays in mm. your fingers mm. so you can actually produce mm. it on demand, mm. which we know is an awfully insecure way of going about yeah. passwords. Yes, it's, it's terribly... <laughs> uh, well, I'm worried, by the way, that he recommends this, but also because he's now saying that we should break the standard default behavior of the web. Well, which compute, allows computing in general, because because mm. pasting in yes, exactly, yeah. is not just a web thing. Yeah. That's that's something that we're mm. we're expecting. For many people, it's probably the most used command on a keyboard: mm. Control C, Control V. Uh, and copy. also, it's it's it's, mm. it's, very, it's integrated in a lot of different ways between. Mm. Well, again, back to accessibility mm. and how mm. you you use things. I mean, this is not this is not just a kind of an add-on mm. feature. Exactly. So when it works for me, like seventy, eighty percent of the time. And then it doesn't 20% of the time. That has nothing to do with security at all. No. It just makes it more hard for users to actually... And in my case, I was buying something. Mm. <laughs> if I had not just had the intent and the stamina to actually continue going, I would not have bought that product. Mm. Uh, because I did not want to enter all my details again once I knew I already have an account. I mean, there's, mm. there's, two, there's at least two aspects to this. One of them is is usability or even accessibility but usability mm -hmm. that you you don't mess things up that are, are standard and you yeah. and you you don't make things awkward so so breaking password managers mm -hmm. or breaking mm -hmm. paste isn't something you mm -hmm. do and i don't mm -hmm. i don't buy that doing it for security is a good enough reason yeah. and then the second aspect is implementing what did he call it did he call it behavioral no it's a biometrics behavioral biometrics yeah. Which that phrase is actually reasonably scary in itself. Yeah. <laughs> that, recommending that you mm. implement behavioral biometrics yeah. on your website rather than, for example, get rid of passwords. Yeah, <laughs> which would be a much nicer route to go down, actually. It's one that I'd prefer. Yeah. Um, that I, I don't believe in passwords at all anymore. And this is, I think, this for me mm. is it just backs up my arguments of why passwords are really, really bad ideas. Yeah. When and we're just, to resort to this kind of. Uh, creepiness. And just in case you wonder if when we're saying uh, remove passwords altogether, uh, it's not something we just made up. <laughs> it's something that is happening across the web. I, I go to more and more websites now, actually, that you enter your email, the password is, a unique password is sent to you, and then you have to log in using that. I mean, even two-step authentication, you get a text message. That's one way of getting rid of passwords. So we're moving in that direction already. Uh, I just want to uh, revisit the point about that he's making. So he's heard about this that it breaks password managers. He lists it as one of the myths mm. uh, or excuses of why you yeah. you, you would disable. So this. he has even made a video showing that, no, they don't. <laughs> because in his case, he was able to use a password manager uh, regardless of whether the password field was disabled or not programmatically. Now, there's not a single way to programmatically disable a password field. So that's one use case that he's not pr probably tested enough. This is also specific password managers and specific browser that he's using to show us that no, they don't disable password managers. So I think we need to do a lot more testing. Also, of course, it's not an iPad. I wasn't an iPad. You have to remember that you cannot keep track of all the different use cases and all the different devices that are coming out. If you start going away from defaults and standard behavior, you better keep track of that for all the future devices coming out. Of course, you know as well as I. The best way of winning an argument is taking a very, very specific use case and yes. pushing it in the face of people yeah. who disagree with you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very true. So, yeah, 
big message then to a lot of designers out there is remember if you are using passwords don't disable the password field encourage your developers to label them correctly and don't disable paste mm. but having said all that i still think you should go and visit his website and read paul moore's article because there's some really interesting stuff in there so regardless of whether we agree with his premise or not there's some really interesting stuff around the biometric stuff that i was not even aware of that what people were doing and, and what you can well and, and what you can do with it mm. um I, I think it is absolutely fascinating mm. i said we I maybe don't agree with the the application to do with um, security and passwords mm. but um very interesting um that well, behavioral biometrics is a thing, and was it key? Was it keystroke dynamics? I think was another phrase. That um, yeah, keystroke dynamics was another phrase. Um, that you know, systems monitoring how you type and mm. the pattern of you type, like like the signature used to mm. oh is unique from checkbooks and so mm. on. That your typing style is also unique, like a fingerprint. Right. And don't get me into how that could be misused <laughs> and uh, when related to GDPR. Yeah. I do actually like the way that we have linked together um, design with code and usability. Mm. Going back to our, our original little intro text we used to have when we started the podcast. Yes, um, that's which right. Which we've stopped using the last year. Mm. Um, bringing together um, people, technology, and business. I've probably said the wrong thing now, haven't I? No, people, technology, and business. I did say the right we thing. We maybe used the word users before. We did use users. Many years people. ago. Mm. <laughs> But this is it. I mean, we are at that. We can't. Mm. We are at that epicenter of these different technologies, mm. and I, I love the fact these two articles do talk about how your usability is impacted by the way things are mm. coded. And such a good reminder that we can never f forget about the technology. Mm. We always say, "Well, technology comes last, users comes first. But no, it all works together. It's uh, it's like a mix of stuff that has to come together and fit perfectly with each other. Nothing is more important than the other because if it is, then the other. Uh, suffers yeah uh, so we need to think about it all and we need to be better at communicating with each other because developers don't know the structure they don't think about the structure in that way they're aware of what code is available but we need to also to agree with them where where the different content bits go yeah mm. just just as mm. just as you know maybe the, the coders themselves are not designers mm. um or information architects mm. then we're not coders so yep. we, we we all just have to get along have conversations and that's ended up being a little bit shorter episode than normal. I can imagine I just have these mental images now of, of people kind of like standing still halfway through their park run or whatever and, and wondering, well, what do they do now? There's no more podcast. Or they're, they're getting out of the bath and the water's still lukewarm. Well, all the people who are listening doing the dishes, they haven't finished no. doing the dishes. So it, it's all it's stacked up there. Three plates <laughs> left. Oh, God, we, see what we've done. Yeah. We've broken people's worlds. <laughs> I promise we'll be back up to over half an hour next time. Mm. Thank you for spending your time with us. As always, links and notes from this episode, or at least these links to the two articles, um, can be found on uxpodcast.com. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.
Knock, knock. Who's there? Alien. Alien who? How many aliens do you know? <laughs>